This is the Living Fearless Today podcast, a show that helps men like you and me who are struggling to get unstuck and overcome fear to live confidently and courageously. I'm your host and transformation coach, Mike Forrester, helping you create the change you want now. Join me as I interview men who've conquered their challenges and soared to success as they spill their secrets on how they live fearless today. Hello and welcome back, my friend. Man, this week I'm joined by Tyler Witkowski. And Tyler's got a heck of a journey, but man, I got to tell you, from his journey and the transformation he's gone through, you're going to see a lot of hope. And so just like what I had gone through, Tyler's had a similar experience of, you know, child abuse, but man, his transformation and how he has just moved through different things, pushing and persevering and uh, the growth that he has put in building a community around him. Absolutely amazing. And I hope that you get the encouragement from it as well. So, uh, Tyler is a podcast host. He is, uh, uh, owner for like a publishing company. Tyler does quite a few things and, uh, very passionate about mental health and advocacy in that. So Tyler, how are you doing today? My friend, I am, uh, staying busy, but that's not a bad thing. It keeps my mind busy and everybody who has uh mental health struggles knows that's keeping your mind busy is a good thing for you. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's kind of one of those of when we're bored and, uh, leave, leave it to our own thoughts. It's, uh, that's when we get in trouble and start going in places we don't need to. So I feel you. Well, Tyler, let's start off. What does it look like for you today on the professional side of life? Yeah, absolutely. So I graduated college uh, in 2015 with my bachelor's in marketing and also graduated from the same college, the University of North Carolina, Wilmington, with my master's in business analytics. And uh, from there, you know, I spent the past decade in marketing and communications for higher education, uh, nonprofits, local governments, marketing companies, uh, really spent a lot of time in the Marcoms realm. And I love it. I, I've had a passion for marketing and communications since high school. And, you know, I think uh, now my journey has kind of led me into a, a journey of entrepreneurship. I've started a couple businesses. One is the Witkowski Company, which is a nonprofit digital marketing and communications agency. I do some work for some churches and um, business organizations and humanitarian efforts and really do a lot for them to elevate them at an affordable price. And I also run Tea with Coffee Media, which is a indie publishing company. We publish uh, authors, no cost to them. We cover all the cost for their editing, formatting, all that. Uh, and we also offer our services to other authors who are not signed by us so they can get affordable editing, professional editing, book formatting, marketing, all that good stuff. Um, right now, I, I do a little bit of that and blogging and podcasting on the side. Um, my blog, TylerWitkowski.com, is full of mental health tips and travel blog, or travel tips and writing, Marcom, publishing industry, all that good stuff. And then we also have the Adventure with Coffee blog, which is 
our travel blog, my wife and I actually sold our house a couple months ago and moved into a, an RV and are now traveling the United States full time. So we document our journeys on our travel blog. That's very cool. So you were previously in North Carolina. Like, where are you at now then? We're still in North Carolina. We're about uh, 45 minutes away from our home. So we're in a little place called Lake Waccamaw. We're from, well, I'm from Leland, North Carolina. And my wife's, uh, she kind of is a nomad anyway. She's traveled around a little bit, uh, wound up in Leland, and that's how we met. But so right now we're in Waccamaw, but we're actually looking to, uh, in 2023, we're, or 2024, I'm sorry, we're going to start heading out west and we're going to go to places like Alabama and Louisiana, Colorado, Michigan, and just travel around for the about 10 months. And then we're going to come back and visit family and everything. Cool. I'm like, wait till after winter to visit Colorado, man. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a heck of a winter there. <laughs> Oh, cool. And so what about like on the personal side? You said you sold your house and you're traveling. Anything else on the personal side of life for you today? Yeah. So I, I'm also an author. I write a lot. Um, that's how I kind of started coping with my mental illness was through poetry. From 2012 through 2016, I, I really didn't have uh, – I was undiagnosed, so I wasn't on medicine, didn't really know what to do, and turned to poetry. And that was my outlet to get my, my feelings out and express my emotion and actually eventually published that poetry collection that I wrote from that time period in 2020 as a collection called Coffee, Alcohol, and Heartbreak. I also wrote a novella called Not Alone in 2019 and published that. It was inspired by um, my grandmother. She was a high school English teacher and later my principal. And she always encouraged me to write from a young age. And I moved back in with her in 2019 or 28, late 2018 to uh, why my house was being built. And she asked me one day, she said, you know, are you still writing? And I, I said, no, you know, whenever I got into college and high school, it was really just academic writing and I got burnout. And she was like, well, write something for me. So I wrote something, never intended to publish it and uh, eventually did. And I also published a book uh, called The Seeds of Love, Sunflower Kisses Book One. It's a romance novel about a mentally ill young man. Um, and he finds love. And I also recently in July published my first fantasy book that was co-authored by my vice president of marketing, Kelsey Ann Lovelady. We, it's called Enamored Echoes Book One, Potent. It's a modern day retelling of A Midsummer Night's Dream by William Shakespeare. And the uh, one of the main characters, Oberon, actually has schizophrenia. So I incorporated mental illness into, you know, a magical being to show, you know, even the mighty can have their flaw, their flaws. I say flaws very loosely, but, um, you know, and I'm writing another book called The Principal's Principles. It's inspired by my grandmother. She was the first principal in a rural county in the late 80s. And so it kind of goes through some of the trials and tribulations that she would have overcome and some of the disrespect that she got. And, and you know, it's not really based on her story, but it is. Uh, it's actually the grandmother from Not Alone. Uh, it's the same character, same universe. All my books are actually set in the same universe. There's connections to Not Alone in every single one of my books if you look for it. I'm re -released, I re-released um, Not Alone as a full-length novel in October. 
So that was great. We had a couple book signings at Iron Anchor Tattoo in Leland, North Carolina, and Brunswick Beer Exchange in Leland, North Carolina. So really excited about those, um, the success of those in that book. Also working on the second book to the Enamored Echo series, Time and Tide, which is a uh, modern day take on, or not a modern day take, a retelling of the story of Blackbeard featuring Anne Booney. And um, also going to be working on the Seeds of Love, or sorry, Love and Growth, Sunflower Kisses book two. Hmm. Gotcha. That's quite a bit of writing, man. So like when you were five years old, um, your parents ended up getting a divorce and that was really the beginning of like a challenging time where like when you were switching back between both homes, like between your mom and your dad. And when you were with your dad, like you didn't know where you would be or if you would have like, you know, a place to really rest. Right. So it was kind of a, a, a time of change and transition and uncertainty. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Whenever I was five, my parents divorced. Um, it was very hard because there was a part of me that always thought it was my fault. Um, and, you know, like you said, my my dad, and I want to preface this by saying my dad and I are on much better terms today. He has made amends and become a much better person. Um, he's got three other kids who are much younger than me, and he takes wonderful care of him. I mean, he really has evolved into a great father. And if only I could have had that father whenever I was a kid, you know, that's that's what I needed. But unfortunately, I didn't get that. I, I got the young version of him who didn't know how to raise a kid and he didn't have a place of his own after he moved out of my mom's house and we stayed at my aunt's house and sometimes at hotels and at his shop where he worked and we used to you know there were times I would sleep on the bench and you know it it wasn't easy um and I I know my dad you know I know he didn't want to do that because he was also sleeping out there and you know sleeping with us and didn't know where to rest and god knows where he was sleeping whenever he didn't have us he could have been sleeping in his truck for all we know um and I think the most important thing was that I I had a lot of hope from my grandparents um you know I spent a lot of time with my grandparents uh my grandma and grandpa mama and grandy on my mom's side they helped raise me a lot from the time I was young because my mother was a single mom and worked a lot. She, she worked hard so that she could provide for me and my brother. Um, I went through some things that weren't easy. You know, there was times where I wanted to give up. Even as a young kid, I was obsessed with this concept of death and was so worried about what happens when you die. And I thought it was normal at, you know, six, seven, eight years old to be obsessed with this concept of death. I didn't know it was an early indicator of mental illness. And, you know, my mom didn't either. But, you know, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, mental illness wasn't really taken seriously. So it was one of those things that a lot of people, they they didn't see the signs because they didn't know. And, you know, that's what I try to explain to my mom now, because my mom has a lot of guilt towards herself for, you know, not being able to recognize and help me sooner than I've recognized it and helped myself whenever I was about 21. And 
you know, I, I tell my mom all the time, you didn't know. I, I don't hold any hard feelings towards you, just like I don't hold any hard feelings towards my dad anymore. You know, there's no point in that you only get one set of parents. And, you know, now, of course, if they don't change and evolve, then that's a different story. But my dad did change and I can forgive him for that. And my mom was never a bad mom. She was a wonderful mom and really helped me and my brother. She didn't know about some of the stuff that we went through when we were little because I didn't know I was supposed to tell her. I just, my, you know, kept it to myself. Well, and that's, that's kind of the thing, right? I mean, we're little kids at that time. And so, you know, you're going through not fully understanding what exactly is going on and you do your best with what, what there is. Um, you know, you had talked about, uh, forgiving your dad and the stuff that's gone on there. Like, how did you get to the point of deciding, Hey, I'm going to go ahead and forgive because for a lot of us, it's like that forgiveness is almost like an anchor, you know, something you hold on to because those feelings are there. They're legit. You know, you went through that experience, but that forgiveness, I don't think many of us understand that that holds us captive more than it impacts the person that we're, you know, having those emotions toward. How did you decide, hey, I'm going to go ahead and forgive my dad? And then how did you work through that forgiveness? Therapy was a huge thing for me, going through therapy and and getting to understand where these feelings came from and where this resentment was harbored. And, you know, I think his evolution and change into a well-respected and developed man was also enabled me to say, I'm able to forgive you because you've recognized the wrongs that you've made in your past and you're trying to change those. And that's all anybody can do. I'm not perfect. I come from a past of addiction and undiagnosed mental illness that caused me to do things I regret. And the only thing you can do is continue going and make a difference in your life and the lives around uh, of others around you and the ones that you care about. So being able to forgive him wasn't easy, but, you know, we, we haven't always seen eye to eye. Even to this day, we have our differences. Um, you know, we, we, but at the end of the day, we come together and I recently lost my grandfather, uh, back in April to cancer. And he was like my father figure. And at the time, me and my dad weren't talking and, I I finally reached out to him because I got to thinking, I was like, you know, my dad, he's not perfect, but he's still the man that, you know, has helped raise me as a man. He didn't help raise me as a child as much as he has as a man. Now that I'm older and being able to be a man, he's actually taking his mental health seriously. And it inspired me to get help for my mental health, Um, you know, and, and I do it. I I do raise mental health awareness for him just as much as I do for myself because I know he struggled with it. And that was part of the reason that he wasn't exactly the perfect dad, but he's gotten that under control now and he's recognized those issues and really taken those steps to correct them. And I have nothing but admiration for him now because, you know, that's, that's a long journey, especially whenever you're, he was a young man in the 90s and a teenager in the 80s when mental illness was looked at as something that you were crazy. And he he's finally accepted that mental illness is OK. And I think a lot of that comes from me as well. So 
being able to connect with him on a deeper level like that is really inspiring and gave me that next level to say, you know what? I love my dad. I will forgive him, you know, but at the same time, I'm always going to have my guard up. And I think that's true with anybody who's hurt you in your past. Uh, like I said, I love my dad to death, but I still have moments where I'm afraid I'm going to make him mad or upset him. And I, I, I kind of get scared. The inner child in me gets a little terrified. And, you know, I know he doesn't mean it. And he's, you know, I'm 30 years old now. He can't punish me or spank me or anything like that. But it's still that feeling of, you know, just that inner child being afraid. Yeah. And that can take time to, to relearn or almost unlearn that reaction that was trained into us as children. I mean, like you're, like you said, your dad's not going to spank you or do anything like that. He's not going to put you in timeout, discipline you, but it's like, there's still that expectation because of what we've experienced, um, that can hold true. Oftentimes, I think one of the hardest people to forgive is ourself. And like you talked about, you know, as a child, you looked at the fact of like things being your fault, you're responsible. You know, if I didn't do this, maybe, you know, whatever event is occurring wouldn't have happened. How did you go about? walking through the forgiveness as you, you know, grew up and then learned about mental health and what you had gone through. How did you walk through that? It it took a while, you know, my journey with mental illness and, and really the turning point in my life was about 2015. I, I almost committed suicide one night. I actually had attempted it, um, took in a couple pills. I didn't take enough for anything to happen. Thankfully, I'm still here. Um, but I, I had called my friend, Matt, who's my best friend, like a brother to me. And I told him, I was like, hey, I'm killing myself. And before he could say anything, I hung up the phone and uh, he called me back about 10 times and I just didn't answer. And it was a combination of fading in and out of consciousness and just not wanting to talk because I wanted it all to end. And then another number called me that I didn't recognize and something brought me into consciousness. And I said, oh, let me answer that to see who it is, because, you know, you could have random phone number. It's kind of curiosity killed the cat sometimes. Uh, so. It, it actually turned out to be Matt's dad, Mr. Tommy, and he passed away uh, about a year after this. Um, but he he treated me like a son, and he told me, he said, let me ask you something. He said, is your wrench broke? And I said, what do you mean? And he said, whenever I was working as a mechanic with my dad, my dad used to always tell me if I ever tried to give up, he said, is the wrench broke? And if the wrench wasn't broke, he told me to keep turning. Your wrench isn't broke. You're still here, mm -hmm. so keep on turning. And that was kind of a very powerful point to me that I said, okay, I need to get help. And I started going to therapy, and they sent me to a psychiatrist. And uh, that was the point that really pivoted my life for me to see. And it took me a long time, though, because I was still ashamed of the mental illness when I was diagnosed. It just it made me be able to better understand my past actions and begin that process of healing and forgiveness for those actions and those um, people that I hurt and 
and such. So being able to grow and develop from those that forgiveness was really, really important to my journey. But it wasn't until I wrote Not Alone that I really became a mental health advocate. And that was the book, the novella that my grandmother had asked me to write. And I had never had any intention of publishing it. It was just meant to be something I wrote for my grandmother so that she could read it. And she loved it. I used to read it to my wife while, or my fiance at the time, now wife, while we were laying in bed. And I'd read her every chapter and she loved it. And I finally showed it to a couple of friends who were loosely based off of a couple of characters, who a couple of characters were loosely based off of. And they loved it. And everybody kept saying, you need to publish this. You need to get this out there. This is such a powerful message. And I said, uh, do I want to do that? Because that's kind of, you know, that's a big step. I, I hadn't told really that many people about my mental illness. Aside from family and people that I considered family, I, I kept it a pretty tight-knit secret. And I finally said, you know what? I'm going to give a voice to the people who are unheard. And I published Not Alone. I was scared. I was so scared. I was like, people are going to hate this. This is my first writing attempt. You know, people are going to see it and they're going to say that I'm a crazy freak. And, but that wasn't the reception that I got. It was all positive. People would come to me. I, I did a tattoo signing or a tattoo signing, a book signing at a tattoo shop, which I also got a tattoo at the time. So it was like a tattoo signing. It's a tattoo uh, but, signing, man. I'll go for that. There you go. Uh, but I did one there and the amount of people that showed up to get mental health tattoos and to support me and to tell me, Hey, your story meant so much to me. And so many people would get it, get by the book while they were there and then read the entire novella while they were waiting on their tats, waiting for their tattoo. And they would come up to me and they're like, I couldn't put it down. It was so inspiring. And it made me feel like I was in the story. I felt like I was Henry because I've been there i've acted the way he's acted and done the things that he's done and felt the ways that he's felt and that to me was just so inspiring and i decided from that day on all my writing was going to have some kind of mental illness in it to help other people see that just because you have a mental illness doesn't make you any lesser of a person and that was really the biggest turning point in my forgiveness was being able to recognize and accept who I was, regardless of the quote unquote issues that I had. Gotcha, man. That's super powerful. So like when you talk about Henry and some of the stuff that you wrote in, as far as like how he's thought, how he's acted, what are some of the, the behaviors that you included? And did they come from like experiences you had had, um, you know, in, in dealing with stuff that you were working through? Yeah, Not Alone is actually based on a true story. A lot of it is based off of things that I went through, ways that I acted, events that I went through. Um, of course, there are some fictionalizations in there. I'm not going to pretend that there's not, but, you know, that's part of any good story that strikes emotion is you got to add some flair in there. So, uh, but writing the story and basing it off of some of the true events was really scary. And being able to write those events and have to revisit those events, there were things like psychosis in there. I had times where I was hearing voices and seeing things, and 
writing about that and reliving those moments was really terrifying. There's a chapter in the book where Henry has a panic attack while he's driving and he winds up winds up somehow at his house and he ends up on the back porch soaked in a beer because he's trying to drink a beer to calm his nerves and he passes out and it's like he sees himself in third person and he's looking down on himself and he sees somebody out there looking at him and he thinks it's his friend uh thomas but it's really this his inner demon you know you you go through this whole story figuring out this shadowy figure and who it is and it's it's just a result of his own mind and i i really went through that and having to relive some of those memories and some of the bad things that i did like the addiction it was really tough because it struck a nerve and it struck emotion. It struck memories that I hadn't had in a long time, but I dug deep and, and broke down some barriers to find those memories. And I think that was also a pivotal part of my healing process was being able to break down those barriers and accept those moments of weakness, accept those moments where I wasn't my best self and say, you know what? At the end of the day, because the whole story ends with Henry as a successful young man who's journeying through life and has everything that he needs despite battling mental illness, he wins every battle. And that's something that I wanted to teach other people, but I think I also needed to teach myself was that with the power of the people around you, that's how you come through this alive. So did you like... I guess if we look at a lot of us, as far as there's going to be gaps, maybe in our memories, um, or the stuff that we kind of recall, but don't fully recall that stuff. I know I personally was afraid to really look at it and dig into it because it was almost like Pandora's box. If I open Pandora's box, I was already scared enough from the memories. If I opened it, what was the beast that was really inside? What was the horrible thing that I, I, you know, suppressed? Was that kind of like what you were going through in that process as well? And like, um, you know, then making that decision to dig into it, to be intentional and work through it. Was that kind of the fear that you were confronted with? Yeah, just having to face those darkness, that darkness, like you said, opening up Pandora's box and facing my inner demons, you know, the shadowy figure in Not Alone doesn't have a name, but that's kind of the personification of that monster that comes out of that Pandora's box. And it was amazing because I really had no idea. It, it just kind of happened in the first chapter. I included this dream of the shadowy figure. And then as I was writing it, I was like, you know what? I have this idea. And as I wrote each chapter, the vision for this shadowy figure became clearer and clearer. And I think that was because I was starting to see my inner demons clearer and clearer based on these memories and how I was growing. And that's kind of the story behind Henry seeing it is every chapter, every year, he starts to see it clearer and clearer because you can't face your enemies if you can't see them. And once you see your enemies, you're able to better prepare yourself. And that's ultimately what it comes down to at the end of the story is Henry now has a clear view of his inner demons, which actually turns out to look just like Henry. And 
you know, that that's a very important part of the story because it shows that growth and that development from the darkness into the light. And that even on the sunny days, you may have a cloud that blocks the sun temporarily, but that cloud will pass just like the thunderstorm passes. That's super powerful, man, because in the midst of it, you don't ever see the end and you think it's going to be eternity until things ever change if they will you know like this is the the eternal prison that we're uh locked into right is is kind of the way it feels in that time so as you were working through the emotions like i guess even before you got to that point so as you got into your teens and 20s right and how did you how did you feel like were things still haunting you at that point or had you gone through therapy or like I know at that time in my life I was medicating right and trying to cope and hide things right I wanted to bury Pandora's box (laughs) you know all those things I didn't want to see that um was that kind of the same situation or did you deal with things um in a different manner yeah, it, it was kind of the same situation where through my, you know, late teenage years, early 20s until I was about 21 when I was diagnosed and started my medicine regimen, I I was really afraid to open that Pandora's box. I self-medicated with drugs and alcohol and became addicted and ultimately that was my way of burying those those demons, that Pandora's box and I mean, it's not healthy and I don't recommend it to anybody because it it led me down a path of darkness that I'm still to this day ashamed of. But at the same time, it makes me who I am and it makes my story what it is. And I'm not afraid to admit that I'm not a perfect person and I have my flaws, but we all do. And anybody who says they don't, they're lying to you. But it took me a long time to realize that I, I definitely buried it. And then poetry was a way for me whenever it started bubbling up to the surface to kind of close it back up a little bit. Some of it got out and I'd put it on paper and close that Pandora's box back up. And that was my way to cope with it and be able to express my emotions and get it off my chest so that I wasn't stewing on it and it wasn't consuming me all day. Yeah. The one thing I want to ask is it seems like with your, your mom, your grandmother and grandfather at the time, you know, like they were a crucial community, even, even your friends as well. Like how can relationships around us help us out? And how do we also have to make sure like there's certain relationships that are more toxic than helpful. Right. So, um, Let's first, I guess, talk about, you know, like your, your mom and grandma and their grandfather and how they were pivotal. And, uh, then afterwards we'll talk about like, you know, how to be careful of who we invite to be in relationship. Yeah. So I have, you know, my mom and my stepdad were great sources for me. They, they helped take care of me. My stepdad came into my life a little bit later in life, but he, he was a great father figure to me. And him and my mom were always so supportive. You know, they were understanding. They, they didn't 
fly off the handle at me whenever I had my moments, you know, unless it got way too bad. I mean, there were times that I tried to fight my stepdad. You know, I, like I said, I'm not perfect. I, I have my flaws and did things wrong in my past too, but I've grown from it. Um, and me and my stepdad are fine now and we, we're great friends. Uh, I still love them to death and I love my mom for everything she's done for me. You know, her and I don't always see eye to eye, but there's nothing wrong with that. Cause like I said, you're never going to see eye to eye with everybody. And it's about who you can set aside the differences with and love and take care of my grandmother and my grandfather. They were probably my biggest sources of hope. I used to stay with them uh, every other Saturday whenever I was with my mom and I'd stay with them. And just, it was so nice because I'd sleep downstairs you know it was a two-story house my grandma used to sleep upstairs and my grandpa would sleep downstairs and i'd sleep with him and i i spent so much time hunting and in the woods and fishing with him and that was my way to kind of be able to let go you know of course hunting was a little frustrating at times because you shoot at a deer and you miss it or you go fishing and you can't catch a fish and you get frustrated but my grandfather was the one person that i could never get angry at you know he always had a way to soothe my soul and he was just this good old country boy who worked hard all his life he came from a farm and worked on a farm as a child i mean his skin was dark and leathery just from being in the sun all the time and he he had this southern accent that was just perfect and you know just the way he was able to calm me down and it wasn't by fear or anything like that it was just a simple hey son it's okay you're you're gonna be okay take it slow it down just that reminder to slow it down. And sometimes I think that's an important thing that we have to remember is you've got to slow down too. You know, I talked earlier about being busy and staying busy, but that that can run you ragged. There's a fine line between staying too busy and, and slow and being at the right speed. So my brother, Justin, has also been a, a very beautiful resource for me. He was my best friend growing up. Um, you know, we fought like brothers do, but at the end of the day, it wasn't, you know, it was me and him fighting. Nobody fought him. Nobody fought me. We had each other's back. And I, I remember the first and only fight I ever got into with another kid was uh, this kid that was making fun of my brother. And I just wasn't having it. And he started shoving my brother and I stepped up and, you know, made sure I was protecting my little brother because that was my best friend. And even to this day, he's still my best friend. I talk to him every day. I talk to my mom and my grandma every day. Um, you know, and now I've got a great support system with people like Matt and my friend Taylor and my, uh, in-laws. They, they have been so wonderful to me. I even have tattoo, a tattoo for my mother-in-law and I'm getting one for my father-in-law. They've just, they've always inspired me and, you know, had my back. Um, and we've been able to overcome some difficult challenges together. And now we've built this family and I've got this community around me that supports me and lifts me up. And whenever I'm feeling down, one of them always knows. And it's an amazing thing, whether it's my wife, whether it's my, family and friends, somebody always knows to check on me whenever it's time to get checked on. I have a great uh, team at Tea with Coffee Media, Aaron Jolly, Kelsey Ann Lovelady, and Victoria Moxley, and they are 
so supportive of me there it's a very neurodiverse board they have their own mental illnesses and we all support each other and lift each other up it's one after another if somebody falls down the rest of us are there to pick up the other one and reach our hand out and i think that's the important thing is just building a community of people who understand you and know whenever something's wrong they know when you're off because whether we know it or not we always give away little signs whenever we're down in a funk you know it we all have our ways of expressing it and trying to cry out for help it's just everybody's different and you the people that love you that come out and find those ways that you cry out for help you know for me it's a lot of times i'll post things on social media and i'm not big on my personal facebook or my snapchat or anything like that i'm big on my author stuff and my brand but um, if I get on my personal stuff and start posting things, then a lot of people know or a lot of my friends and family know something's wrong and they'll reach out to me and check on me. Or if I don't reach out to my brother or my mom or my grandma every day, they'll reach out to me to make sure I'm OK. They just know. And that's what you need is a community that knows, because believe it or not, people do. People have this innate desire and this innate understanding a, a sixth sense if you want to call it that where they can understand people that they love and they truly want to help and they truly want to understand they're able to they have the ability to understand and find those cries for help and help you in the ways that you need help because that's just what we're meant to do as human beings yeah absolutely community makes such a difference in that so if you didn't have people within your community that were picking it up, Tyler. Let's say, for instance, I'm in a spot where I don't have, you know, community that's as uh, aware of how well I'm doing. How, how would you guide me or how do you do this where, hey, I need help? How do you, how do you broach that? You know, cause there was a time, dude, I was, too prideful, too scared as well to say like, Tyler, I've, this is where I'm at, dude. Like I would just bury it, hide it, not talk about it and kind of pull an ostrich, you know, put my head in the sand and hope it goes away. Um, but it doesn't, <laughs> you know, how do you, how do you work through it? Or how do you, how would you encourage me to work through it where I actually, um, I'm saying something. How do, how do I get through that? Um, there, there. Like I said, I mean, my cry for help is social media. There are ways to actually say it without saying it. You know, sharing something on Facebook or sending. You know, something I personally do is whenever I'm having a hard time and I see an article from the Mighty or some mental health site that resonates with me. I'll try to send it to somebody, you know, just say, hey, check this out. I came across this and thought you might like to read it, you know, and then they'll read it and they'll. I wonder if that's what Tyler's going through or I wonder if that's what Mike's going through. Um, and, you know, being able to communicate it in some way, whether it's sending an article or, you know, say reaching out to somebody and saying, hey, I'm struggling. And that starts with being able to forgive yourself and accept those mental illnesses and those mental health challenges that you have as part of who you are. And learning that 
people love you for who you are, and if they don't, then they're not worth having in your life. It's a hard lesson to learn, and a lot of people struggle with it. I struggled with it for a very long time. We lost my brother-in-law uh, three years ago today, and uh, you know, we um, it, it really changed my life. Because he was so carefree and didn't care what people thought about him. And whenever he passed away, it made me realize that's how I should be living my life. I should be living my life to the point where I'm not ashamed of who I am. If you love me, you love me. If you don't, I don't need you. Um, being able to accept that. And, you know, unfortunately for me, it was a tragic life event that caused that. And I wish I had an answer where I could say, you know, this is how you've flipped that switch in your head. But sometimes it does take a major event that causes you to wake up and realize, hey, I'm okay. I'm perfect. Maybe it's listening to this podcast today and saying, hey, you know what, Tyler, you're right. You are absolutely right. I'm okay with being who I am. Look at, I mean, just look at me. I, I, I've overcome addiction, mental illness, trauma, PTSD, borderline personality disorder, uh, bipolar disorder, anxiety. I've overcome all that to become an award-winning marketing communications professional, an entrepreneur, a published author, a successful blogger. And, you know, I've got a lot of people who care about me now. And it's easier to see because I've accepted myself for who I am. And whenever you accept yourself for who you are, it makes it easier to believe that other people can accept you for who you are. So being able to forgive yourself and accept yourself for who you are is that first major step to being able to reach out. And from there, it's finding those little ways that you can reach out, whether it's sending an article or just being blunt and saying, hey, I'm not doing good today, whatever you're comfortable with and take it in baby steps. If you're just comfortable with sharing stuff on social media at first to try to, you know, show people that you're struggling, do that. Don't be ashamed to do it. If people think you're attention sinking, then they can remove you from social media. I mean, it's not that hard. Um, and, and, you know, being able to love yourself first and the most, um, you know, I, I love everybody in the world, but you've got to love yourself and take care of yourself most, because if you don't, then you're no good for anybody else. Um, if you're not able to make yourself happy, you know, you're going to not necessarily bring the people down around you, but they're going to want to help you. And it's going to be hard for you to help them help you if you can't even help yourself. There's a lot of helping going on, but not a lot of helping for you. Yeah, we've got to allow ourselves to be in a space to be helped. I know I was often like my biggest hurdle for people when they saw something that was going on and wanted to help it was the no i'm okay i've got this you know or just being agitated because it's like i don't feel like something's wrong but you know or i don't want to admit something is wrong putting up roadblocks um how do you discern who is like within your support community and those that you know to need to be kept at a distance right um I even went to the extent that I needed to put up boundaries around my parents because the relationship, unlike, you know, your dad, they did not change and chose not to change. Um, despite conversations, how have you gone through that? Where it's like, I would love to have you in my life, but 
you're not a healthy person, you're not at a healthy place, and I need to watch out for myself, much like you said, you know, put yourself in that position to be cared for first. How do you discern, um, you know, who who should be and when somebody needs to be kind of put on the outside and kept at a safe distance? Yeah, that that was a tough lesson to learn. I, I used to, um, like I said, whenever I first came out about my mental illness, I used to trust a lot of people because I saw the best in people. And I used to let a lot of people in and I would talk to them about my issues and my problems. And eventually, you know, people started to turn on me and I had to realize that, yes, I'm going to be open about my mental illness and my struggles, but there are certain things that need to stay within my community. And finding out who your community is is not an easy thing to do but at the end of the day there's a feeling whenever you're with somebody it's all like love you know when you find your first true love or your true love or someone you love you just know and being able to build that community around you of people who love you and it's about discerning what is that? What is the feeling of love versus the feeling of anxiety versus the fear, feeling of fear? There are different ways that we all feel different things and learning to know our emotions and know our triggers, whether they're negative or positive triggers and understanding what it is that people do for us whether it's those positive or those negative triggers and then saying, okay, you provide me more negative triggers than you do positive in my life. It's time for you to go. And, you know, sometimes that doesn't have to be a permanent solution. It can be a temporary solution. You know, like I said, I, my dad and I recently went through a period where we didn't talk for a little bit. We had a disagreement and I felt like I needed to, you know, put him out of my life for a little bit and I think he felt the same we just needed some distance and we took that distance and we were able to come back together and discuss it and say okay here's where I went wrong here's where you went wrong and we understood each other and that's okay to do too even if you love somebody it's okay to temporarily distance yourself from them well Tyler man thank you so much for joining sharing your story hope encouragement ways to you know help and grow ourselves as well. Um, I really appreciate it. Thank you, my friend. Thanks so much, my friend, for joining me on another episode. If you found the information within the show helpful, please leave a review on the platform you're listening to. It helps raise the show's visibility so other men can join us in breaking free. See you on the next episode. And remember to continue putting yourself out there. Have a great one.